All right, I'm turning this evening to Matthew chapter number one, Matthew chapter number one this evening, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 18 through 25, and we'll be considering the subject of the birth of Christ, the birth of Christ, Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Before we look at these verses tonight, we want to consider a couple things about this text. This particular text or these verses really from verse 18 to verse 25 are telling us two great, very important truths. They tell us, first of all, how the Lord Jesus Christ took our nature upon himself and became man, yet still remained fully God. Now, that's not something new to us. We are familiar with the idea of Christ becoming fully man and also becoming and remaining fully God. They also secondly tell us the truth that the birth of Christ was in fact a miraculous birth. It was like no other birth that had ever been nor any other birth that would ever be. Of course, we know some of the backstory here. We know uh, that Mary is referred to as the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ was conceived Uh, by the Holy Spirit and born of Mary. Uh, The thing that we want to really emphasize tonight as we consider about the birth of Christ is kind of connecting to what we learned last week when we studied the genealogy found in verses 1 through 17. Uh, We learned last week that that genealogy was tracing the pedigree or chasing or uh, tracing rather uh, the, the, the family line that would lead to a king. And so it's very important that we remember that context. Verses 1 through 17 were pointing to a king, pointing to a savior. So when we study about the birth of Christ, we are studying about the birth of the king. Uh, and we need to think about that. Think about Christ being born into this world as savior, no doubt, but also being born into this world as king. And uh, that is an undisputable truth that Christ is, in fact, the King. Now, one of the first really notable differences that we see in now the, what, verses 18 through 25, uh, they zero in on the actual birth of Christ. The other kings, as we read in verses 1 through 17, it was sufficient enough to just simply acknowledge so-and-so begat this person, and that was the end of it. But what we see in verse number 18 is we see a very in-depth description about the birth of Christ. Notice what it says in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. In other words, it's, it's drawing our attention to the reality. Here's how the birth of Christ took place. Here are the circumstances around the birth of Christ. And it, it's instead of just being a simple word that Mary begat Jesus, we see here is a description. The birth of Jesus was on this wise, or here is the account of it. There's so much more to be said. And that's where we see the context of these truths. When as his mother, or as his mother Mary, was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So Matthew here, as he writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe he's writing this probably in the greatest sense of reverence that he could write. 
He is, he is writing about the birth of Christ. And this is one of those subjects that is not a light subject. It's not something that is uh, easy to just take in. It is a deep, mysterious, very important subject when we deal with the birth of Christ. I'm afraid often when we come to this time of year, sometimes the birth of Christ is just uh, kind of treated as another event in the, the Christmas story, if you will. But there is, this deserves our reverence. This deserves um, our consideration. And I would, subject, I would sub, uh, submit to you, it even deserves our worship. It deserves our adoration. There's, there is a reverence here. Because we're not reading about speculation. We're not reading about what might have happened. We're actually reading what the Holy Spirit inspired the evangelist Matthew to write regarding the birth of Christ. Notice that expression alone. When as his mother was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit writes through Matthew about the choice of Mary as the, the one who would carry the baby Jesus. There was no other way for Jesus to be born. He had to have been born of a virgin and he had to have been conceived by the Holy Spirit. If he had been born of a sinful father, it would have been impossible for him to possess a sinless nature. He was born of a woman. Why? In order that he might be human. That he might also not be sinful by being the direct descendant of Joseph. But this is how the Holy Spirit operated in the work of our redemption. This is the very beginnings of the work of redemption by the actual preparation of the body of Jesus Christ in its humanity that would 33 and a half years later would eventually go to the cross and would die for the sins of his people. So this is a, a matter of not just speculation, but a matter of utmost reverential portion of Scripture because of what we're reading about here. And we see that it was Mary who was espoused to Joseph. And it was uh, Mary who was, uh, was, was going to be married to this man, Joseph. And it was before they were married that these things began to be announced. Notice in verse number 19, it tells us, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now Mary, we're told, was espoused to Joseph. And there's no question that when the news came that Mary was with child, Joseph, no doubt, was saddened and probably a little bit confused by what's happening here. Uh, he learned that Mary's going to be a mother before they had actually been married. So the idea that the Holy Spirit gives us this phrase, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, the reason this is here, folks, is because it would have been common that if something like this would have happened, that would have been under normal circumstances, where a woman had been with child prior to the marriage, the man she was espoused to, that, that person almost in every single case would have put her away. And yet Joseph, although he's perplexed, although he's saddened by this, 
He does not put her away in a public manner. But notice it does say that he was not going to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. That word minded means to lead her away. Now there's no doubt many people in the same situation would have cast a woman in this condition or in this situation away. But remember, there's something about Joseph that was mentioned in the genealogy. And it's very important. In Matthew 1.16, remember, Joseph is referred to from, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. I want you to think about this for a minute. Joseph himself is named in the royal line of Jesus. Now, he is not going to be the actual father. We realize that. But he is going to serve in the capacity of being our Savior's stepfather. He felt that it was important to put her away, but he puts her away in a quiet manner. And I think there's an application there about how that when, when we have to do something difficult or something needs to be done that uh, might cause harm to somebody else, we should do that in the most tender, compassionate way that we could do it. But then notice it says in verse 20, as Joseph was thinking on these things, it says, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So there's a point in time when Joseph doesn't really know what's going on. And it's not until the angel of the Lord appears before Joseph in verse 20 and says to Joseph, Joseph, listen, what's happening with Mary, this is the, this is the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We have to ask ourselves the question, thinking about uh, this, this angel of the Lord appearing before Joseph and what Joseph must have been thinking. Uh, there's no doubt Joseph, when he was made aware and, and saw and knew of Mary's condition, he's, he's wondering, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to put her away privily. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to do this in the, in the best way I can. And he's, he's, he's visited by this angel of the Lord that says, listen, don't be afraid. Fear not to take her as your wife. Joseph was being guided in the best possible way. He was being guided by the Holy Spirit himself. He had the assurance that Mary had not in fact sinned, but had been shown the favor of God. Every person who would have come across Mary, who would have seen her, understood her condition, would have just assumed that Mary was in this condition, pregnant with child before the marriage because she had sinned. The Holy Spirit, the angel of the Lord, is reminding Joseph this is not the result of sin, but rather this is the result of the favor of God. He uses, he's reminded of the fact, fear not, notice, thou son of David. That acknowledges Joseph being in that royal line, that royal genealogy that led to a king. That's an important piece of information. He's told, put away your fear. How much comfort Joseph must have received by being told by the angel of the Lord, David, or uh, Joseph, rather, there's nothing to be afraid of. 
You are the son of David. And what you're seeing happening is of God. He was then from that point on, we're going to see, able to take Mary under his care and tend and care for the son that was going to be born unto her. Now, on the other side of that, we've got to ask ourselves the question, how would Mary have taken all of this news? Now, Matthew is giving us one perspective of this. The other gospels give us some perspective of this. But notice it goes on in verse 21 and says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. No doubt, Mary had to have had some anxiety. Mary had to have had some, uh, some, some worry, some concern about what was going to happen. This, in fact, is an improbable thing. How could she possibly be with child that was conceived by the Holy Spirit? That is indeed a miracle. That is indeed something that is not can be taken lightly. But the favor of God, the favor of His uh, work in her, the Lord's uh, trying to remove from her any suspicion in Joseph's mind that Mary has somehow done something wrong. And Mary's being comforted by the reality that you are going to bring forth a son. His name is going to be named Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That is indeed the favor of the Lord, folks. That's, that is God's favor that Mary was chosen to carry the Savior of the world. It does not mean that Mary was ever meant to be worshipped. Mary was not meant to be held up as a God. She's not meant to be worshipped today, but she is in fact given some favor of the Lord, no question. We understand that this promise that's made in verse 21, that she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. They didn't leave the naming process up to Joseph and Mary. His name would be called Jesus. His name would be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now we see the name of Jesus as one of the names he's referred to. He's referred to in the Bible as the Lord of glory, the Son of Man. And you'll see that he's being named by the commandment of God. Jesus the Savior. Jesus the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. His name is what he is called. He is called by what he's going to do. He is going to save his people from the punishment and the guilt of sin. And then he will save them from the power that sin has over those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Who does he do this to, do this for? He does this for his people. Those in eternity past before the foundation of the world, those that God the Father had given to the Son, Jesus, in fact, would save his people. All who will put their faith and trust in him and repent of their sins, all that will come unto him, he will in no wise cast out. It is his very nature to be a Savior. And we see in the very fact of his name, his name is Jesus. Today, we still call him by that same name. He still saves today. He saves to the uttermost. 
When we go out and we tell other people about where salvation comes through, we say it is in the name of Jesus. There is no other name in which man must, can be saved and must be saved other than the name of Jesus. There is something so important in His name. His name is divinely commanded and ordered. And according to the text, the angel of the Lord declares that His name would be Jesus. And it would be a name of someone who has come down to this earth and to deal with man's greatest need, and that's man's sin. God the Father is the one that gave him this name. The Holy Spirit explains the purpose of the name, tells us the reason for the name. He shall save his people. There is this great full sense that we're given here that tells us even when we talk about salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is in Jesus the Savior. He shall save. It's a divine name. It's a name that in the Old Testament, the name Joshua is the name that is the Hebrew form of the name Jesus. So in full, the name Jesus is Jehovah Savior. And we refer to his name with its brevity simply saying Savior. It is the greatest of all names. It is the most miraculous of all births. It is the birth of a Savior, the birth of a King. He's not coming to give temporary salvation. He's not coming to give something that's common. But He's coming to deliver His people from the greatest enemy they face, the greatest affliction they face, the greatest trial, the greatest trouble they face, and that is their own sin. Joshua in the Old Testament was a Savior. Gideon in the Old Testament was a Savior. David was a Savior. But the title is given to Jesus above all others because He is a Savior in a sense that He's going to do something that no other person could do. He's going to save people from their sins. That is in fact the greatest picture of a Savior. We could give you illustrations of how Moses delivered and saved the people out of Egypt. We could give examples of how David delivered the people which God had given him to rule over. We could talk about the people that Gideon had delivered. But understand that there is only one who can deliver people from their greatest need, and that is their sin. It's very telling that in order to fulfill this saving work, Jesus is coming to visit His people. He didn't just come to admire them. He didn't come to adore the beauty of who they are. He didn't come to simply say, uh, look how wonderful they are. No, He came to remove the depravity of their sin. He didn't come to reward their righteousness. He came to forgive their unrighteousness. This is that name, Jesus. This is that Son that is being born of the Virgin Mary. Now you'll notice verse 22, it tells us, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 22 tells us all this was done. 
that it might be fulfilled. Fulfilled by which prophet? Which prophet said this? This was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That prophecy is found in Isaiah 7.14. And again, for most of us, it probably is a familiar passage. Uh, It's not going to be something that's new to us. But Isaiah 7.14 is where this declaration is made. It says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now, notice that Isaiah says that this son that will be born, he doesn't use the word Jesus, he uses the name Emmanuel. Now, some have falsely said, well, this is a contradiction in Scripture. See, the prophet Isaiah is saying his name was supposed to be Emmanuel, and Matthew says his name is supposed to be Jesus. This must be a contradiction in Scripture. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is not a contradiction. This is a a name that is uh, given, uh, Emmanuel, uh, in ancient times. uh, Many called their children uh, by names that had a deep meaning in them. Uh, They did not give them the names of people that were uh, eminent, people that were well-known. They were names full of meaning. And often the Old Testament name was based upon circumstances of their birth. Now this is critical to understand. The name Emmanuel was being mentioned by Isaiah because the name is circumstantial to the birth of that son. In other words, what are the circumstances surrounding this Jesus who's going to be born? What's actually happening when Jesus came to this earth? What's the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. So Jesus, when he came in human flesh, never ceasing to be God, is Emmanuel because he's God with us. That's why Isaiah uses the name Emmanuel. The names were given based upon the circumstances of their arrival by birth. Now, there are many, many similar instances in the Old Testament we could study. This was a very customary thing in the Hebrew days and Hebrew cultures that they would give them names that spoke to the circumstances. So we see that Jesus bore the name of Emmanuel because of his name meaning God with us. When we talk about the name Jesus, we are speaking of Emmanuel. We are speaking of Emmanuel because Jesus is God with us by his incarnation. Jesus becoming man is the characteristic. He is God with us. This God, Jesus, who was from eternity past, does not have a beginning, whose name would be known to us as Jesus also would bear the name of Emmanuel, God with us. If we want to know what God looks like, who God is, we see it in Jesus Christ. So this is very important what Isaiah had said about this prophecy. There's no question that Isaiah was speaking about this prophetic event of the birth of Christ. Now one of these days in the future... 
Whenever God's will is ready to be fulfilled and His plans are continuing to move, we understand that. We are going to discover so much more than what we possibly know today. There are things that we are, we are just seeing in their infancy, if you will. We're just seeing pictures and we're just seeing glimpses of who Jesus Christ is. But to actually see from reading our Bible a prophecy being given and the prophecy being fulfilled is indeed a miraculous thing. To actually see Isaiah talk about it and then to actually see it fulfilled when Jesus was born. It really is a comforting thing to know that when Jesus is given the name, when the name is given to Jesus, they shall call his name Jesus, that it is just as accurate to say, you shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, Emmanuel and Jesus have that same meaning or that same tense to them. God with us. In order for Jesus Christ to be our Savior, he had to become God with us. His humanity is critical and was crucial to the redemption of His people. He had to come and become fully man and still be fully God. Jesus is God with a purpose to save. Jesus is God with a purpose to save. Folks, it is not uh, beyond the realm of comprehension to say that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is in fact our salvation. The incarnation of Christ is in fact our salvation. Because without that incarnation, there is no redemption. Without the incarnation, there is no possibility of salvation. Now in order to bring all of this to Joseph and to bring comfort to him, notice what it says in verse 24. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. What the angel of the Lord did to bring comfort to Joseph and to calm his fears was reminded him of Scripture. He told Joseph about the prophecy. He told Joseph about what Isaiah had said. There's no doubt in my mind, Joseph knew what the prophets had said. And here the angel of the Lord was telling him and reminding him, remember what the prophets have said about the coming of a Savior. There's no doubt in my mind that Joseph, he says he's raised from sleep, does as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. There is this obedience. Jesus was going to come into this world and Joseph had the assurance that that child that Mary was carrying was indeed conceived of the Holy Ghost and was in fact the promised Emmanuel that Isaiah had written about. Joseph did exactly as the Lord told him to do. He was not disobedient. From this point on, we have nowhere to declare or indicate to us that he disobeyed God in any area. When they're told later to get up and go to Egypt, he's obedient to that. But we see his obedience begin here. He didn't delay. As soon as he rose from sleep, it says he did as the Lord had bidden him, and he took Mary as his wife. 
There was no reservation now. He had gone from being probably fearful to now being willfully obedient. I imagine there were probably some things that came into his mind that reminded him that she has indeed been favored by God. Can you imagine the thoughts that's going to go through Joseph's mind in just a little while when Jesus is brought forth? The promises and the prophecies, the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph and he sees the child Jesus being born, seeing the favor of God upon Mary, his fears being calmed by the angel of the Lord. Here Jesus had a birthright through his mother, but through the the father's side, we see that it was a miraculous, obvious conception. Verse 25 says, And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I think it's important for these thoughts to really sink deep into our hearts and to really consider and think. These are encouraging truths. These are things that these two great truths that are set forth that we began with tonight when we, when we stopped and we think about how the Lord Jesus Christ took on our nature upon Himself. He became a man, yet still remained fully God. And we're, we're eyewitnesses to this miraculous birth. A birth that was like none other. A birth that will be like no other. And yet, we have so many things that we're found desiring to worship and desiring to adore. We're, we're reading the story of a, of a, of a Jesus, of a, of a Savior, who desires to save His people from their sins. But He not only does that, He's our Emmanuel. God with us. Not a representative. God Himself. Actually God. God with us. God manifested in human flesh like our own. These these are in fact what the Bible talks about, especially in the book of Luke, as being good tidings or the good news. That is, in fact, the greatest news we've ever heard. The news that Jesus Christ was going to come into this world and was going to pay and remove the sins from His people. When we read this, I hope we don't just read this as text that comes up once every 12 months, but that we read this in the reality that this ought to leave us worshiping the Son of God. It ought, to, it ought to leave us with the desire to say, why would Jesus condescend? Why would He come down to where we are? Why would He have any interest in saving wretched sinners like us? That's the great mystery of salvation. The nearer Jesus gets to us, the more we are reminded about who God is and how He has come down to us, the more our response of humility really should be. Every time I read about the birth of Christ, I should be humbled by the realities and the truths that are being given to me. The more we think about it, we truly are the children of a king. 
We are the children of a Savior, but we are the children of a King. When we sing songs like crown him with many crowns, we're, we're singing a song that references back to the reality of the pedigree of Jesus Christ as a Savior, but he's also a king. Not just a king, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We read of great kings and some wicked kings in those first 17 verses of this chapter. And yet, we're, we end the chapter thinking about the King of kings. I think it's important for us to really understand that this ought to be an enthusiastic worship and an enthusiastic adoration that we have of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be something we can simply say, yes, she shall bring forth a son and she'll call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from his sins. Yes, I know the story. I know the events. That ought to be something that truly humbles us. And it ought to be something that truly reminds us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at a visit that Jesus is going to receive from a group of people that are referred to as the Magi's. And it's one of those events that over the years and how all these events unfold, we will talk a little bit about how uh, some of the, the modern narratives of Jesus being visited in a, in a manger who the attendants were, who actually was there, who actually wasn't there. But the visit from the Magi's is very important. And we'll deal with that subject next Wednesday. All right, so, but tonight I want us to, we'll conclude with our reading from the Valley of Vision. And I hope we'll leave here tonight uh, worshiping the name of Jesus, the birth of Christ. Our reading from the Valley of Vision is on 362. 362, and it's entitled, The Minister Before Sacrament. It says, Lord, teach me the nature of a sacrament as a seal and pledge of love, that Christ is faithful to make himself a present reality to his own who are guests at his table. Assure me by it that his word is made good to my faith that he by sacramental union is given to me, that I shall have strength not to fall into sin, that his life begun in me will be perfected hereafter, that my covenant with him is confirmed, that he gives himself to all who take him thankfully. As I come to the feast, help me to recall my neglect of duties toward myself, my family, church, friends, by not instructing, exhorting, being an example." Grant me to see my ignorance, not knowing how or what to pray, my unsavoriness, not delighting in, but loathing to speak for thee, my pride, because I would not speak. I would not speak what I could from fear of not doing it well, my lukewarmness and not reaching for thy glory, my idleness and sloth, my want of tender love, my apprehension of unfruitfulness in case I should attempt and do no good, and hence sow seed upon rocks. Let me know that even if I have done right, yet I must lament the principles that caused my neglect, that good duties might be done or omitted out of ill principles or motives. And only when these are dealt with shall I know what is my duty and its extent. Heal me now as I approach thy table, and fill me with all grace 
with thyself. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity we've had to spend together in your word. And Lord, thank you for the great reminder this evening of the most wonderful event in human history on many accounts is the birth of our Savior. We know that his coming to this earth was for the purpose of saving his people that he might receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Lord, tonight we leave here rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in the reality of Jesus Christ coming to this earth as our Emmanuel, truly God with us. Lord, may these truths, may they lead to a response of worship, not just in our hearts, but in our life. May we show forth the glory of the great truths that we've heard taught and preached tonight. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake that I do pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much.